Welcome back to the Chip Lunch Podcast. We are back with another guest-hosted podcast episode with Manda. Hello. Hi, Manda. Welcome. Hello, thank I you. I see that you have a, a different jacket on. <laughs> if everyone knows we're recording on the same day, you put a jacket on, I put a different jumper on just so we went. Costume change. Yeah, costume, costume change. Yes. That's right. I've uh, also added a blanket. Oh, have you? Yes. Oh. It's freezing. The last, the last one was too cold. It gets First day so of spring cold. and it's freezing. It gets so cold in this corner of the church. Mm. Coldest corner of church. Any church. Coldest corner of church. Triple C. Mm. Yep. Alliteration. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> the real reason <laughs> that so we're like both here. Yeah. I do. Oh, oh, I love it. Yeah. Oh. Have you got a favourite one? <laughs> <laughs> I'd put you on the spot. <laughs> Dad and Dave. Dad and Dave's, oh, I can't remember what it was, like tree service or something. Isn't that Bill and Ben? There's one from Harry Potter that I can't remember the character, but she's got a Scottish accent. She says he has a particular proclivity for pyrote- pyrotechnics. Oh. Um, it's, it's whoever, Miss McGonagall, something like that. Professor McGonagall. Professor McGonagall, mm. yeah, yeah. I was like, Joel and I should know who this is. Well, it's not in the book. So he That's has why. a particular proclivity for pyrotechnics. Oh, nice. Yeah, he likes fire, basically. Is that mm. how you describe yourself? No. <laughs> <laughs> this is Lee, by, oh. by the way. Hi. Yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm Lee. I don't think we've introduced you. Lee is on the podcast. Welcome. Thank you. Good well, to be here. It's really good to have you. I confused you. When I first met you, I confused you for Scottish. Ah, uh, okay. But yeah, lots are, of people make that mistake. You're not Scottish, yeah. are you? I am not Scottish. I'm from Northern Ireland, mm. which is the northeast of the Ireland of Ireland, Ireland. <laughs> of the island of Ireland. Yes. And uh, we can see Scotland on a good day, mm-hmm. which is about once a year. And um, you can actually see Scotland from there. Oh yeah, hundred percent. You really? can see Isle of Skye um, and uh, Isle of Isla as well, mm. and Campbelltown, I think, something like that. You can <laughs> see Campbelltown in Sydney. Yeah, 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 yeah. You can just see a big mullet. That's all you can see. Um, no, nah, that's probably a joke from about 20 years ago about Campbelltown, isn't it? Now the mullets are all in Cronulla. Yeah, um, yeah that's right. They are, aren't they? Yeah, Your yeah. son hasn't taken up the, the mullet bandwagon, though, I've noticed. No, no, but he does inform me that at his school, even girls have mullets. So really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's made Cronulla, its way into Cronulla's girls. the new Campbelltown. Yeah. That really? is wow. deeply concerning. <laughs> what do you reckon, Manda, with a, with a mullet? You know what? There was a period of time where I really wanted to shave the side of my head. Yeah, yeah. When was that? <sighs> I don't know. Ten years ago, probably. That, mm. that works okay. Go a mullet and a little rat's tail at the back. They're always awesome. I probably um, would have done it if not for what do you do for the next period it's of time grow back. while it's growing. Mm, yeah. yeah. Mm. Wow. Mm. Again, I don't know if you'd go through with that. Would you really oh, do that? Joel, don't, don't, don't try and stitch me up to prove a point. 100% that's what I'll do. And I'll put it on the podcast oh, and I'll put it out on the internet. I don't think it. you'd do that. Oh, I don't think you would. I would. Would you? Yes, but I'm saying I don't want to. I feel like, So don't feel make like, me just like to prove a point. She came on the last podcast, uh, Lee, and um, she has beef with her husband about yeah. the what the proposal story was. And yeah. um, I'm just trying to create more beef about it. Oh, I should stop talking. Yeah. yeah, yeah I yeah. can tell when Amanda's upset with me. No, I just don't there should always It's not be about me. It's about, it's about Lee. Proposal We're here for Lee, yeah. not We're here me. We're here for Lee. Here for Lee, not me. Yeah. Okay, that sounds good. 
to Speaking a spatial. Speaking of which, yeah. first question that yes. we ask everyone is, how do you like to have your... Now, from where you're originally from, you probably call it just chips, but yeah. we call it hot chips. Yeah. How do you, how do you like to have them? Um, made with Irish potatoes. <laughs> particularly Morris Piper potatoes. Wow, even down to the potato type. type. Um, hand cut. <laughs> blanched. <laughs> and then fried. And preferably from the chip shop that my mum worked in when I was growing up as a teenager. Wow. Who made the best chips ever. So, yeah. Really? Yeah. So, that's quite, that's quite complicated. Yeah. I oh, know. I Very like specific. it though. So, don't invite me to your house with <laughs> chips. <Yeah. laughs> I really like the specificity of that. Mm. Do you have any salt? Oh, yeah. Yeah. 100%. Salt, vinegar. Hang on. Um, but a little bit like Cathra had said on the podcast previously, mm. it has to be proper, like malt vinegar, not, not. Australian watered down vinegar, mm. right. which seems to happen in the chip shops here. Mm. But just hardcore, pure stuff, no no um, watering down. Mm. And can you settle an argument for us? What type yeah. of salt? What type of salt? Uh, I grew up just normal table salt. Mm-hmm. There weren't types of salt when I grew up, so I don't mm-hmm. really care about the type of salt. I'm mm. a bit privy to that flecky hipster kind of... Oh, Probably like Celtic sea salt, actually. Oh, just go that one. Yeah, yeah. That's not it's bad. everything Celtic's better. Yeah. See, I didn't hear you. I, didn't, I heard that he, <laughs> not once did he mention chicken salt, Amanda. Definitely no and chicken you salt. Were, yes. You were banking. I think you're now inviting guests on the podcast who you think might have plain no, salt. No, no, <laughs> no, no, no. It's just a bandana against you. It's not against just Amanda. It's against anyone who eats chicken salt. I, I used to, to kind of like chicken salt, but it just takes away from the flavour of the chips, I reckon. Um, it's Good on some things. Mm-hmm. Well, I imagine if you salt. were having Irish uh, hand cut. Morris Pipers. Blanched. Morris, Morris Pipers. Say blanched. Well, yeah, blanched, 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 blanched like, and then yeah. fried mm-hmm. chips. Yeah. You'd probably want to taste them. You know? Yeah, that's right. And they're nice and thick as well. If your mum was making them in the chip shop, is it she blanching them as well? Is she, are they hand cut in the they, chip shop? They, hand, they peeled them. They hand cut them. They blanched them all beforehand and then they pumped out like the amount of potatoes that they used was a lot. Wow. It was Ireland. And I love the way you say Ireland. And in the 90s, so cool. so people weren't that healthy either. <laughs> so it was like lots of chips. Wow, that sounds awesome. Where are you from? Oh, I mean, let's, let's ask the, the original question. Do we have any um, sub-questions for question one, Amanda? Well, kind of. Go. Only because I have some inside knowledge that <gasps> Lee recently returned to Ireland. Yes. And I was wondering if you had chips while you were there. Oh. Um, <laughs> and I if actually, you didn't, I'll be very th- disappointed. I actually don't <laughs> think I did have any any chips when I was there. No. Oh. Mm. I don't know why. Um, I just I was only there for about 10 days, something like that. Mm. Um, so it was just zipping yeah. back and forward. I didn't have any hot chips. No. Oh, that's disappointing. It's disappointing. It is. Oh. Yeah. Is that chip shop still there? The chip shop... Um, is maybe still there, but I haven't been to, it, go for, to, that haven't been place. to it for years. Yeah. Is it called a chippy? Yeah. It's called a chippy. You call it chippy there, don't they? Yeah, same, same as in England as yeah. well, like just a chippy or a chip shop. And down the local yeah. chippy. chippy. But the, the thing that's probably a little bit more Irish is you don't ask for, you, you don't ask for chips, you just ask for a chip, right? Oh. So, so if you go in the <laughs> shop and you say, hey, can I have a chip? That means lots of chips, like a portion of chips. But we just say, give us a chip. And, uh, and if you have chips along with something else, then it's called a supper. So, like, if you had chips with sausages, it's called a sausage supper. 
and that basically means give me sausages and chips. Wow. Yeah. What if? But <clears throat> are there no sizes of chips? You just get. Uh, a oh yeah, you probably get like medium and large that kind of thing. So but you'd you always say, get. Can a I have portion. a medium chip? A medium chip. You could say that. Yeah. Give us a medium <laughs> chip. Give us really? a small chip. Oh. Yeah. Just a small and one. And you just got one. No. <laughs> so. That's what it said. That's what <laughs> I Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're weird with grammar in Ireland. We're not always mm. correct with things. Yeah. Mm. Often not. That's really I interesting. Like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, next question. Ready to move on? Yeah. Go on. You you do the next question. <laughs> Go on. You you do it. You do it. Lee Murray. <laughs> <laughs> this is your life. <laughs> It is, a, it is a bit like that. <laughs> it isn't is it? a bit like that. Yeah. How mm. did you become a Christian? Yeah, um, I grew up in a country where pretty much everyone will have would have been to church. Um, there was a lot of nominal Christianity in mm. that most people would have said they believed in God or in a God, Jesus, heaven and hell, and all that stuff. Um, even though, if, even if they didn't go to church. Most of the schools, in fact, all of the schools would have had Christian assemblies, so the public schools. Um, you would have either had a Protestant school or a Catholic school, and both of those would have invited the respective ministers in. So pretty much everybody when I grew up heard the gospel. And my mum, when she was younger, professed a faith, and I went along to church, went along to Sunday school. So I always believed as well that in those things, but when I hit around about 10, my mum actually, actually got chucked out of a church, really? kind of, um, or well, not, not really, but what happened was my, my parents divorced when I was three, and then when I was 10, my mum started dating this guy who professed to be a Christian, got pregnant with my second sister, and at that point they basically just uh, called her a harlot and said, see you later. Uh, and at the time where she probably needed them most. The most. And so that actually really set a trajectory for me um, in my teenage years and in a couple of different things. So, so one, I just thought that Christians were um, hypocrites and moral fun police. <laughs> um, two, I was kind of just set on this story of my teenage years being like the fixer of my family. So I'm the eldest of five. I've got uh, another two siblings, Curtis and Paige. Um, and Paige is, is kind of like, they're, they're still in their 20s and whatever as well. And basically from that moment on, a lot of my teenage years were kind of like chasing after my father who often wasn't around when he was there trying to fix things in the home. Mm. And then I grew up in a context where there was civil war. So death was always actually really quite front and center and the possibility of, of dying. So I had also this fear of death. And God brought all three of those things to a head probably around about the age of 17 or a little bit before that where um, I was wrestling with uh, the fact that I was getting older, I was looking after my siblings, I was trying to um, kind of protect my mom and fix things in the, in the home. At the same time, um, I actually had aspects of my own life that were just a complete mess and I needed fixing. Um, so I was, I was taking drugs, I was just kind of doing what most other teenagers in the area that I grew up were, were doing to escape um, 
I suppose to escape many things, and, and that's what was modelled to us as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then also too, um, when I was 15, just a, like a, a little bit before that, um, the girl who I was dating, Amanda, um, became pregnant. And, uh, and, and I became a father at the age of like 16, um, but didn't have an opportunity to engage in my child's life, Matthew. And all of that always just swirling around for me um, at the same time that lots of things got pretty crazy in Northern Ireland in terms of um, the what we call the Troubles, which is effectively civil war where people were getting killed. And I found myself in a pub um, up in Belfast uh, around about that age where masked men came bursting in with machine guns. I thought I was gone. I thought I was dead at that point. Um, I found myself a week later at another spot where what started out as a peaceful protest ended up in a massive siege where people brought guns and and the police were firing plastic bullets and whatever I nearly get hit in the back of the head, nearly get hit in the knee. And, uh, and then to work out how to deal with it all, I went out the week later and um, with, with some of my mates and we took drugs and whatever and I felt like I was going to die. And that just all weighed on me. Mm. Like I had this massive fear of death. I had my life that needed to be fixed. I was looking at my family and going, man, I I don't know what to do here. Um, And then I had my father not being around, but also at the same time going, well, I'm not around and I can't be around for to be the father of my child. That just wasn't an option uh, back then. And then... The week later, um, I ended up going to a funeral for a great uncle of mine who I didn't know, but all of this fear of death stuff meant that that was the scariest thing that I could have done at that moment. And I walked into this small Irish cottage, like it literally had a thatched roof, two rooms, packed full of people, like all of these old Irish men with tweed jackets, stinking of cigarette and whiskey. And... um, (laughs) And and it was just packed full and there was this coffin open right in the middle of the floor. And I'm like, man, wow. And and I thought that that would have been the scariest thing that would have happened that day, but it wasn't until the Presbyterian minister kind of came floating in (laughs) to the middle. Um, That was actually the scariest thing. And it it wasn't because he was Presbyterian. It was because um, he read, even though I walked through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And straight away I was going, you, Coolio, gangster's paradise. This guy's <laughs> awesome. And, um, yeah, I mean, if you're younger than kind of like 35, you're not going to get that joke, right? But, um, but, but that, because that's what I did with stuff. I, I, I made a joke about it. I tried, right. to, I tried to minimize the discomfort of all mm. the, these three things. Yep. Um, and then it was just like that. It was like God hit me over the back of the head, and I knew that I could not say if I walked through the valley of the shadow of death, that the good shepherd Jesus was with me. Um, I couldn't have said it like that back then, of course, but that's what I knew. So I went out that night, I got hammered and high, and I decided at three in the morning that I was going to go to church in the morning, and I stood up at a party and I said, in the morning, I'm going to church, and everybody laughed and just thought I was being like an idiot. Um, But the girlfriend that I had at the time was forced to go to church every week by really beautiful Christian parents. So force sounds a little bit too harsh, but she was made to go to church every week. She didn't really want to go. And I said to her, I'm going to church with you in the morning. Basically, 
went to church, walked into this building. There's like a thousand people. All of the guys are wearing three-piece suits. The women are mostly wearing dresses and hats. And, um, and I rock up in my ripped jeans t-shirt, still stinking of alcohol from the night before. And I sat there and I felt so uncomfortable. I didn't know how to open the Bible, didn't know any of the songs. But I heard that day what must have been the gospel because I went away going, I know exactly what I need to do. And I felt like I was the only person in the room. Following that, I started reading my Bible. I stopped taking drugs. There was not that you need to do those things before to be able to become a Christian, but it started changing. And basically from that, that was September 1996, no, 1997. And then I became a Christian finally in April 1998, or March 1998, just before I turned 18. Um, And I got to the point where I knew what I needed to do, and I just didn't have the courage to ask my girlfriend, Gillian at the time, to take me to church. And she asked, I just remember praying and saying, hey, God, if you want me to go to church, you'll make it pretty obvious, you know, make make somebody ask me. And Gillian came to me one day and said, I want to ask you something, but I've decided not to because you'll probably say no. And I was like, I knew at that moment what it was. I'm like, just ask me. Like, I couldn't say, I want to go to church with you. (laughs) She finally asked me. I went to church the next day and I became a Christian four days later. Than that, so that was March 1998. Eight, if I'm going to say that in Australia, eight. Eight. yeah, eight. and probably, we'll uh, <laughs> probably just to wrap that up, I, I think the key motivation for me there was like a that fear of death that mm. that really pushed me towards that. And I, and one of the liberating things when I became a Christian was that that fear just went away. Now mm. it's come back at different points over time, but it went away because I now knew that I trusted in the good shepherd who would walk with me through that valley of the shadow of death. But the thing that was really surprising for me was that actually it also fixed the other two things. Um, I realized that I had a father in heaven who loved me and who knew me and who would never let me down and who would blow out of the water even the best dad in the world. Um, And that was a huge surprise to me and that completely liberated this constant chase that I was having to fulfill that and fill that myself and then the whole fixer thing I was like wow I'm, I'm like a sinner I've got a lot of things in my life and and it was like Jesus going you you know come to me all you who are burdened and heavy laden and I will give you rest mm-hmm. and I just felt this rest that came that all of the things that I had done, all of the ways that I had rejected God, all of the things that I had done to hurt people in the past was was forgiven. Now, I still had to wrestle with that, but I was surprised. I thought it was just this fear of death, but actually the fixing of my life and making me more like Jesus, it freed me from feeling like I needed to fix everybody and also that chasing after my father thing as well. So, So it was so much more than just a get out of hell free card or how do you journey through death kind yeah. of thing. And actually, Jesus brings life, yeah. and that's what I found. And it's, it was the best news I've ever heard. It still is. And, um, yeah, so that's how I became a Christian. Wow. Mm. Good start, Mina. You agree? <laughs> Pretty good start. Not a bad start, <laughs> eh? That's not actually not bad at all. I'm still um, a little bit stuck on the machine guns. Uh, well, this is what was going to be my next pub. question. Yeah. Is, can you <laughs> yeah, please yeah, yeah. educate me and... This is going to be obviously difficult to do in less than 17 hours. Yeah. But 
the tr- like can you educate me on the troubles and what what if people don't know what it was about what was it about it was sectarianism yeah right? yeah yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll i'll give a bullet point history as best i can um england and the crown effectively attempted or well they had one attempted colonization of of ireland that failed then they had another one um where <coughs> they effectively took over the whole of ireland and in the process of that, they, they actually um, persecuted a lot of the people who were considered the Celts, who would then become, I think this is right, would, a lot of them would have ended up largely Catholic. Mm. And during, just post the, the Protestant Reformation in England, um, a lot of the landlords and a lot of the Scottish people who were sent over, um, they were all Protestant. And that localised around the northeast of Northern Ireland mm-hmm. in a particular province called Ulster. Um, and, uh, and that meant that you had a part of Ireland where there were basically these two communities that were growing and forming and developing. Um, but in that, there was lots of persecution, particularly of the Irish Catholics. So if you, if you zoom way, way ahead, you know, like you've got the... Um, Mid 1800s, you've got the the f- Irish potato famine. We couldn't have Morris Piper Blanche chips. Basically, that's <laughs> what that means. Um, but lots of people died, and the English didn't really do anything about it. Mm. And lots of people then went to America. Mm. Um, and uh, but the more wealthy people tended up in that that area tended to be Protestant, and they did lots of things like like they just they couldn't vote, all of that kind of stuff. And in the early 1900s, 1916. Um, there was a rebellion that happened in Dublin where a whole bunch of Irish Catholics basically rebelled against the Crown. And in 1924, they um, gained independence from the, from the British. But part of that agreement was that this part in the northeast of Ireland would stay under British rule mm-hmm. and all the rest of it would be free. Mm-hmm. And they eventually become a republic. Anyway, that was a concession. So... Basically, from then, there was always this idea that what was needed by Irish Catholics or nationalists was to get Britain out of all of Ireland, that Ireland belongs to the Irish. And that was really the precursor for the trouble. And then in 1960-something, late in the 60s, there was a lot of the civil rights movement that happened um, in America, like all over the all over the world. Um, and uh, I don't know if you're familiar with you two Sunday Bloody Sunday mm. song. Yep. Um, that was written about an event that probably was the biggest single thing that catapulted our country into a civil war, where basically the Catholics couldn't vote. They redrew the voting lines. They said you have to own a house and you have like one vote per household. Mm. And some Catholics were living in that area, four or five families in a household, many of them didn't own. So they were coming out in number and it resulted in this um, massacre uh, that then just meant there was a tit for tat, um, killings, bombings Mm. and whatever between these two sides, which we call Protestant and Catholic but it's not really to do with religion. It's more to do with whether you were born in the Shire or out of the Shire, mm. um, which we've, we've kind of seen a little bit of what that looks like here, mm. haven't we? Mm. Um, but just imagine that on steroids and happening a lot for 30 years. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they even, didn't they, is it the bombing in Brighton or something where the, or the G8 meeting or something like that? Where I can't remember it was, but it was something like that. that yeah. Anyway, yeah. obviously revealing my ignorance, but that was a really good, 
Yeah, there's really been history lesson. There've been there've been so many. Um, mm. You know, what I mean, look if you wanna if you wanna dig into it more, watch The Crown on Netflix. There's a few yeah, interactions later point, later yeah. on in that in terms of how it impacted England mm. particularly. Um, but it basically meant it basically meant that we lived very very separate lives. Like mm. I grew up in a very Protestant part of Northern Ireland. We didn't know Irish. We didn't know, um, you know, we we none of us had. Irish names or anything like mm. that, and we wanted f to be part of the UK. Um, and uh, and then there were other parts that you would go to where that was the very opposite. So there was just constantly tension um, all the time. Constant tension, yeah, mm. that makes sense. I think that gives a lot of context to what your life was like growing up. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that fear of death and yeah, it yeah, being uh, in your face. Hundred percent, hundred percent, and you normalize it. That like like mm -hmm. the the thing is part of the coping mechanism is normalizing it. So it's actually been a number of years on now where a lot of this stuff has been hitting me again, mm -hmm. where I've been going, actually, that wasn't normal. Oh, it was yeah. not normal to have a few times in a year where you have a bomb scare at your school. Mm. Or, you know, like I can remember as a student living in an area, I was going between one hospital to the next. I, I trained to be a nurse. And I was basically running from one to the next to do a moonlight shift. And I got tackled to the ground by a soldier on my street. And, uh, and I'm like, what are you doing? And he's like, there's a bomb, there's a bomb. Just don't go up there. And there was a bomb right outside my student house. They were about to blow up a doctor and a, and a couple of student nurses, um, but it was all a big mistake. You know, so, so things like that, I, I, I can kind of say like this, I can joke about it, I can, I, I can kind of speak about it as though it's normal, but it's actually not normal. So there was just that profound sense, I think, for everyone that life is pretty... Um, fleeting mm. in many ways. Mm. So you're like you're trying to live your normal life, like going to work, like you were then. But yeah. it's just this constant tension and anxiety of something may happen. Y yes and no. Yes and no. Like like as in you. you y yes, and there were moments where it was more like that. But largely, it, it just all felt normal. You weren't mm. walking around scared On for edge. your life. Yeah. You just did what you did. That that like yep. that's right. Mm -hmm. um, it probably wasn't until I moved to Australia for the like like in two thousand and five. I can remember running along the Esplanade, and every time somebody would come running up behind me, I'm like. I'm ready for a fight, you yeah. know, like it's it, because, well, yeah, and I started to realize actually all of these things are abnormal, but you're not mm -hmm. thinking about it at the time. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, I was probably a bit more caught up in some of the stuff as well before I'd become a Christian because that was where I grew up. Yeah, you know? just, yeah, you're growing up in it. Yeah. That's, yeah, the, yeah. that's what causes That was it, your right. experience. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's right. And you talked about when you became a Christian around 17 or 18, mm -hmm. Uh, that like a lot of things change for you, although you mentioned those three big things. Mm. How did that play out after that then? Like yeah. what did it look like for you? Like <laughs> did you you went did you go and train to be a nurse pretty much after that? Yeah, yeah. Well it was interesting because I, I grew up in a housing commission area in Northern Ireland. I went to what was considered a secondary school. So basically smart people went to a grammar school. I went to a secondary school. Mm. I probably could have went to grammar school, mm. but I chose to go there just to kind of say I'm, I'm a little bit smart. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I could have, but I didn't I, want I, to. I could have. I actually chose not to. It was probably a dumb mistake. But anyway. Um, and was there pressure, uh, pressure not to? Sorry? Was there pressure not to go yeah, to grammar yeah, school? Yeah, yeah. yeah. 100%, That's what I was going to ask you. 100%. Uh, you'd be a snob. You'd be, you know, mm. like all of that kind of stuff. And But basically at school you're told join the army or go to work in a factory. And, uh, and I, 
you know, like I, I was like, ah, oh, no, I want to do this. And I applied for university and whatever. But give me that original question again. Oh, what after you, so you like became a Christian? how soon after oh, you became a Christian did that happen? Yeah, 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 yeah. So pretty soon yeah. after that. So um, what happened immediately was I told people that I'd become a Christian and they all laughed at me. <laughs> they were like, yeah, right, not Lee Murray. Like, you can't become a Christian, which shows you kind of what a lot of people thought. A lot of people thought you needed to be good enough to come to God, mm. um, not that actually God transforms you from the inside out and changes everything. Um, and uh, But they, they laughed at me, and they laughed at me for weeks, in fact, until they realized one day, hang on a minute, it's been like three months has passed, and every time we ask what happened at the weekend, Lee says he went to church rather than out clubbing or whatever it was. There must be something in this. Mm-hmm. And, um, and uh, yeah, so, so uh, but I, I just felt this profound sense that, like, this, if this is true, it's true for absolutely everybody in the world. You know what I mean? Like, like the claims of, of Christianity that God made absolutely everything and everyone, they were made, you know, for Jesus, by Jesus, then that's it's either true for everybody or it's not. It's either true for everybody that we're lost outside of Jesus or it's not, you know? And and I just went, man, I need to tell everybody about this. And I was probably a real jerk when I was doing it. I tried to kind of tie everything in, you know, like drinking coffee into a Jesus conversation. So that changed a lot for me um, because, yeah, people just thought I was weird um, <laughs> at that point. But the, probably the biggest thing was I ended up then going to university and that was a huge moment for me because what I was saying was, I remember the conversation with my mom. I remember saying, hi, mom, like I want to go to uni, which she loved and wanted me to do. I was the first person in my family to do that. Um, but also what that meant was that I'd be moving away from home. Mm-hmm. And and uh, that was a huge decision because at that stage, three of my siblings were really quite young and I was like a father to them. And I remember saying, hi, mum, I need to go, not because it's far away, but because I need to start working out what it's going to look like for me as an adult now. Um, and that was, that was massive. Mm-hmm. So I ended up going to uni in Belfast, um, which is the capital city of Northern Ireland, in September 1998 to do nursing. Um, And that's when I probably started to just expand my horizons. I I realised that actually things are a little bit bigger than my housing commission area. But also, too, when I was 20, I started, um, I I ended up going to India on a short-term mission trip. Um, And that was probably one of the biggest things in that stage that shaped kind of who I am today. So we we had like a six month discipleship program. Then we went to India. I'd never been outside of the UK. I'd never eaten Indian food. I'd never been in a hot country, nothing like that. (laughs) And we went to India for three weeks. And God just blew me away in that moment that actually it was just this very concrete example that there are millions of people who are lost outside of Jesus. And what we had was were a bunch of Christians going and they were trying to work out how to tell the gospel in a way that the people there would understand. We call it contextualization, um, but they were trying to contextualize the gospel. But they were really struggling to do it with people like me back in Northern Ireland. Mm. Uh, Effectively, they kind of championed mission overseas, but they didn't know how to do mission across the street. 
and and that really really shaped so i came back from that going man we need to work out how to proclaim the gospel and how to how to i didn't say the word proclaim back then because that would have been way too posh um <laughs> tell people about jesus um and uh yeah so so that kind of shaped a lot of kind of where i am today as well in that moment and you said like first of all you were going to secondary school was encouraged and going to grammar school was discouraged. Mm. So then you became the first person in your family to go to uni. Yeah. Your mum encouraged it, but what was the, what's the vibe around everything else? Oh, you, you, off he goes, you're going to leave us. It was a bit like that. <laughs> yeah. I remember uh, one of my cousins, George, George, if you're listening to this, this is, uh, I love you, mate. Um, <laughs> hey, Georgie. I, but uh, I remember George saying to me, mate, like, I'm earning £270 hey. a week and I'm 17 or like 18 and you're going to uni and you're only going to earn that once you finish, you know, like, and, <laughs> and so it was just stuff like that, which, mm-hmm. which was fine. Um, and, but because I moved as well, actually what started happening was not that I want to abandon my friends from back at home, but I started creating new friendships and uh, people who... Um, were in a similar stage and whatever to me and, and actually one of the guys uh, James Gilpin um, has been one of my longest standing uh, best mates we were I was his best man at his wedding that kind of thing um, and uh, and a lot of my life just started shaping around Belfast anyway and being at university mm-hmm. and then at the age of 21 I so I was I was 20 at that point at the age of 21 I ended up leading a short-term mission trip to Thailand and was halfway to Australia at that point, and I had to take a year out of uni to do that. Uh, so I called my uncle up, who lives up in Engadine, and I said, hey, you're a Christian, I'm a Christian. Um, <laughs> we don't know each other, but can I come and visit you in Australia? <laughs> so I ended up in Australia for a year. I lived here between 01 and 02, mm. and I actually came to Solis in the factory years ago a few no times. Way. Yeah, oh, yeah, did, yeah. like at the original at factory. At the original Soul Each. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've I've even got history I mean, we there. Been there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I went with a few people um, cool. kind of probably partly because there were some girls involved um, <laughs> at that why, point. That's why I started I, <laughs> but but also too I was kind of blown away by that and going, oh man, here's actually because r- remember at 20, I'm going, how do we reach people across the street, yep. not just across the seas? And things started to click for me. Mm. That was one of them. Another one when I was in Australia was just blokes reading the Bible with each other. Um, actually talking, you know, like my uncle would preach and he wouldn't be that much different than what he was from when he was preaching to what he was in real life. And right. mm. he'd finish preaching and he'd chuck on his Manchester United jersey, which was the worst Ooh. thing ever. But <laughs> but um, it just showed me there was a bit more of a laid back, um, normal how do we be Christians in everyday kind yeah. of life approach? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas in Northern Ireland, it was quite um, it was quite different to that. Yeah, it, it sounds like there it was yeah or yeah, and it was like you got to earn it, like earn your salvation almost, and and have yeah yeah rather yeah. Rather than just like I've been right. transformed and I'm just living it out. Yeah, you're saved by grace, mm. 
And we often say, and I think this is actually a challenge for most Christians, we often say that we live by grace, but often the way that we live is like we need to pay God back or um, how much we believe that God loves us depends on how many good and bad things we do in a week. You know, like, and that's actually not the gospel at all, but that was certainly a lot more prevalent in Northern Ireland. And um, I I actually, I joke a little bit, there's more to it than this, but I was bought a Bible and a three-piece suit when I became a Christian that is true um, and that was partly so that I fit it in but um, but there was a lot more to it than that mm. yeah. yeah yeah so that um you mentioned that trip to Thailand isn't that the first time if I remember correctly from Catherine's episode <laughs> where you met her Didn't you meet no. her once? no 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 uh, you, you're remembering correctly that Thailand features <laughs> in that um, the co- story co- in, in the story <laughs> but that doesn't happen until after so so that happens whilst I'm in Australia um, Catherine is in New Zealand, mm. and then we both end up going back. So, so we we both end up going back to the UK via Thailand, and um, yeah, and I met her in Thailand. Uh, do you want to know more about that? Sure. There's <laughs> um, no point breaking up yeah, the, the flow. I, mean, the I flow can't remember. I can't remember what Catherine said, but um, basically. <laughs> Basically, we were on a beach and there were these um, fighting Welsh girls who were arguing. I don't remember this. This is Catherine didn't say this. This is great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and, and Catherine was kind of like with them, but not. It was just like this traveling relationship. And I was with a guy... Um, a Welsh guy, believe it or not, called Tom Jones, and um, <laughs> and I kid you not, that's that's, that's true. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, people didn't throw things at him, you know. That's like such he was, an um, old. That's such a. That's the worst version of Tom Jones. Burning down the house. That's why it's, that's why it's funny. I, I, yeah, I reckon so. I, I, I agree. Um, but anyway, I was with Tom Jones, the, the non-singing Tom Jones. And, and, and we kind of didn't really know each other anyway. But, but he knew the fighting Welsh girls yep. and uh, started talking to them. And I was, left to, the, them I was left to the side and Catherine was kind of left to the side. Yep. And... Um, and I don't like not talking to yeah. people. So I struck up a bit of a conversation and I, I said to her, hey, do you want to go for a drink? Um, and what I meant by that was, do you want to get away from this? From this? <laughs> because this is not fun. <laughs> and, uh, and, and she just said, no, nah, I've got a boyfriend. No. <laughs> <laughs> and, I think, and I think that's because she had set herself up for what happens when you're traveling is that mm-hmm. basically people just want to get stuff from people. And uh, anyway, I didn't really have that alternative motive, although I thought she was really quite cute and, uh, and pretty. She finally agreed to go and have a drink with me. And, uh, and then we ended up uh, talking. We sat down on the beach it was full moon in the sky, the water's floating in and out. We chatted all night and then she leant over to kiss me and, and uh, give me a kiss. No, that's not true, that bit. Um, <laughs> that's, that's not true, that bit. I just like to throw that in there because it's, um, it's fun. But yeah, we, 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 ended up, we ended up hanging out hanging out then for about five days after that. And, um, and I just had this weird sense of, I'm going to see this person again. Like, I'm, I'm going to see her again. And, um, and, and I reckon there was just something about that that made a profound impact on, on me. I ended up going back home. 
Catherine ends up going back to England and she starts to date another guy and I'm like, oh, well, okay. <laughs> that was a bit gutting. Mm. And, um, but, but, you know, at the end of the day, it was five days we knew each other and we were living in two different countries. Mm. So no hard feelings, Catherine, it's okay. <laughs> um, but what happened for me in that moment? So I was a Christian and Catherine wasn't, Catherine had actually not really known anybody who she thought was probably a Christian the way that she would define it now. Um, but the whole process of me leaving Australia to go back to Northern Ireland was a massive shift for me. I actually didn't realize that probably for about a month before I was about to leave, I had a lot of anxiety. I didn't know that I had it, but probably a lot of anxiety about going back to, to Northern Ireland. Um, I actually had, I'll, I'll add this in, part of that period of time before I became a Christian, I also had the Protestant equivalent of the IRA after me. So basically guys who would be the kind of guys that would yield guns and beat people up were after me for about two and a half years. And What's that called? Whatever. What's that called? They're called the UVF. That's yeah, one of the many you. Protestant Equivalents. A lot of them start and with you because of the this starts with Ulster. Ulster that's it? right. Yeah. Ulster Volunteer Force is what they stood they for. Volunteering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but but anyway, the, the reason why that's, that's important is I, I think I think actually I was really scared about going back to Northern Ireland mm. because mm -hmm. there was all of this stuff that I'd left behind um, that was really quite hard, and I didn't know how to process it back then. Yeah. I was also I had this awesome experience. I felt like like I belonged here. It was like, you know, I was always outside of the box where I grew up. You know, when I became a Christian, I felt like the black sheep of the family, which was weird. Um, and that was partly because I just thought a bit differently to a lot of the people around me. Whereas here, I was like, this feels like I should have grown up in this area. Um, maybe God got it wrong. Uh, <laughs> it, it doesn't, but, um, but that's what I, I joke about. And um, and, and I reckon I was probably wobbled as a Christian for about a good month before I left and for the whole period of time for like for a long time. So I didn't care when I met Cathra that she wasn't a Christian. Um, in fact, I probably hadn't even considered how me now being a Christian would shape what happens with girls. I, I, I just didn't no, it hadn't, like the gospel hadn't really kind of pushed into that area of my life before. Mm -hmm. I knew that it was wrong, but I didn't know why. Mm -hmm. I didn't really care. Um, so anyway, I, I ended up back in Northern Ireland, had this massive reverse culture shock where I was like, I, I still don't really like Northern Irish Christians all that much. So didn't really go to church for a while. And my life actually spiraled for a little bit where um, I, some of the things that I really struggled with when before I'd become a Christian, came back, um, I couldn't really feel like I could speak to people about it because it's all about being good. And and, uh, and there would have been people who I could have spoke to about it, but my own sinful disposition, my pride, all of this stuff that was going on, I just kind of didn't know how to deal with it. So probably for about eight months, 12 months, I wasn't regularly going to church. I was still a Christian but it was like I was having an outer body experience. It was like I was watching myself go down this road that kind of led to death, led to um, unhappiness, led to, like, like, like a lot of the stuff that used to bring me joy before 
and I'm doing it as a Christian and it's like, this is not life-giving at all. And I knew it, but I couldn't stop myself from doing it. Um, at the same time, I had been chatting to Catherine on the phone uh, fairly regularly and, uh, and I was going out with this girl at the time. Yep, that, yep, I was going out with this other girl at the time and that wasn't particularly healthy. And uh, at the same time, this is when I first kind of found out about um, my, like more fully about my son, Matthew, uh, from uh, his mum's cousin at a nightclub one night. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and, and that really just affirmed for me because I, I'd, I'd actually started to believe uh, things that were not true. Um, in that period is just as a way of dealing with it that that it, maybe he wasn't my child, all of that kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. so this just hit me square between the eyes. And at that point, my girlfriend couldn't deal with that and she just ran away. Um, and at the same time, Catherine was on the other end of the phone and she was the person who was there for me. And we kept on chatting and, and chatting and whatever. And I think we fell in love on the phone. And a year later, in April 2002... Three, no, three, 2003, um, came over to visit me on my birthday mm. and there were a couple of Australians that I knew from here who were over visiting and they came to visit me in Northern Ireland. One of the guy's name is Mark Nosworthy or Noza from the Shire. His oh, dad Noza. was Noza. Yeah, his dad, <laughs> he, was, he was the most Australian person that I knew at the time. <laughs> and, um, and he picked her up from the airport, brought her back and basically said, ah, you guys should sit together for a photograph. And we sat together and I put my arm around her. And then after the photograph was taken, we couldn't let go. And, and that's that when she leaned in for a kiss. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was always her initiated every time. And so that was, well, I actually know our first kiss. I'll, yes. Is Catherine going to say this? Um, no, uh, is, is she going to worry? No, no, no. Everybody kind of knows this story that knows us. Uh, we were going to kiss once at one point. And just before I was about to lean in, mm. A song came on, and it was "It's Now or Never." (laughs) Give it to me from uh, Elvis, (laughs) and then we just burst out laughing. We went, "Oh, this has ruined the moment, hasn't it?" Hasn't it? Um, So, but but yeah, so we we then got together. Like we 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 got together at that point. Um, I very quickly moved over to England because I'd finished university, um, and uh, I basically said, "Hi, I'll come over to England," but. I want to go and live in Australia, so it's me and Australia. You get the package deal, mm. um, and uh, but I moved over there for a little bit at first, and and I think the key moment in my story then at that point was that I was saying to Catherine that I was a Christian, and she turned around one day and she said to me, "You say that you're a Christian, and you say that you love God more than me, but I just don't see it," and I was like. Okay. Well. Um, and God really used that moment to speak to me and rebuke me, really. So, so I was like, right, okay, if we're going to move over to, if I'm going to move over to England, the first thing that I need to do is find a good church. I ended up looking around in Hull. So Hull was voted Britain's crappest city seven years in a row um, for all of the wrong reasons. So I just tell people that I went to Hull and back to declare my love for her. Um, 
Uh, but <laughs> it was also one of the least church cities in England. So there was like 0.7% of people went to church. And most people that I knew were quite antagonistic against the, the, the gospel, which was actually really good. It opened up lots of conversations. But it meant that there were very few what we would call Bible teaching churches in the area. Um, and uh, I remember looking for lots of churches and just going, oh man, I'm done. Like, I can't find a church anywhere. And I looked up and there was a university Christian union guy standing in the, in the coffee shop. And I was like, oh, I think they know Bible teaching churches. And I went up and asked him about a church. And he said, yeah, there's an Anglican church up the road. And I just went, I am doomed. Like, I'm completely done for, because growing up in Ireland, uh, no offence, by the way, for all of the Anglicans in, in the room. Um, I studied at Moore College, so I'm allowed to say that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, um, I, but basically, Anglicanism for me was either synonymous with Catholicism or just completely liberal. But anyway, we went to this church, and it was awesome. It was so good. We were able to say, hey, here's where we're at here's where I'm at, this is what life looks for us at the moment. Um, and uh, they loved us, welcomed us in, they said the hard things, they discipled us. Um, like somebody walked with Cathra for a whole journey of her becoming a Christian, you know, and, and, um, and, and they were so loving, so deeply loving without um, abandoning the truth for us. Mm. That, that, was so, that was hugely impacting. And what happened was that as Cathro was engaging more in church and we were getting closer to this moment where she would finish uni, I'm getting more and more convicted about our relationship. And, uh, and I went to a guy called um, Dave Lynch, who now is a good friend of ours down in Tassie. And he was, a, he was doing the equivalent of MTS, like it's an apprenticeship there. And, um, and I said, hey, Dave, I really feel like God's calling me to break it off with Cathra and this is going to be the hardest thing that I will ever do because it's like 99% perfect but that 1% is a thread that kind of goes through absolutely everything and even though she's been coming to church a lot even though she's done Christianity Explored I don't know when or if she will actually become mm. a Christian and um, and and I remember just going man I just felt sick to the stomach uh, at the thought of that and um, Cathra had no idea so the next day we decided to drive to Ikea to get stuff for our new apartment. Like, you know what I mean? That, that's how hard it was. I was like, I don't even know how to do this. And um, she tells you in her story, I think, then what happened there. I, but effectively, she got to the point where she believed that Jesus was who he said he was, that the resurrection was, was, was real and logical, but she wasn't a Christian until the way back home in that journey in the car where we're singing Amazing Grace and Grace just kind of becomes real. The, the Holy Spirit reveals to her the, the awesomeness of that. So when she told me, hey, I've become a Christian, I thought that maybe she had found out that I was going to break up with her. And I was like, wait, what? Like, what's changed? <laughs> tell me, tell me, why is it different from here to here? Of course I knew, but I was just so geared up for yeah. um, probably getting what I deserved in a sense. And what I got was probably something a little bit more akin to an Exodus moment in my Christian story, where I was like going, oh man, God has not only forgiven me for never giving him control or allowing the gospel to seep into this area of my life, 
not only has he forgiven me for that, he's actually also given me everything that my heart has desired in a relationship in Cathra. And, um, and, and I still look back in that moment a bit like Israel looks back on Exodus because I think it not only brought about the relationship that we have now, it was actually also a very key defining moment in how I understood God's grace in my own life and what that really looked like. Like it's actually, it's not about my performance, but but actually he is someone who is willing to forgive if we, you know, in as we come to him for repentance and have faith that he has forgiven us. And, and that, so that, that has completely shaped the way that I live a lot of my life now, even though I still struggle with a bunch of things. Um, so that's how Catherine and I then got together and I went, well, hey, look, 99% of this was right. God, you fixed that main thing. Um, it would be a bit dumb now if we kind of split up, right? <laughs> so, um, yeah, so, so we, we, and I, we got engaged then a number, maybe about six months later, and then got married in 25th of August, 2005, and left for Australia the next day, pretty much. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Going on an Australian honeymoon that lasts for a very, very long time. Mm. Right? Mm. Happy anniversary. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it was yeah. Week it's just only last week. Yeah. yeah. Shh, don't tell people when we record this. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> That's fine. Wow. It's live. It's always live. Yeah. Live. Kind <laughs> of. You live. Right now it's live. It's not coming to people live. Um, wow. So there's a lot going on there. And I should say that, like, yeah, we had another, we just recorded another podcast. There was a lot going on. So it, it's it, both our guests have been quite. Um, Intrepid travellers. There's a lot of travelling going on. <laughs> so you got married. That was you said that was 2005. Yep. Okay. So when? How old were you when you got married? I was 25. 25. So I was born 1980. 80. <laughs> 80. 1980. 1980. Yeah. yeah. I, how do you say it? Eight. Eight. So eight. it's eight, eight, not eight. Eight. Um, yeah. Eight. Eight. <laughs> Eighty-eight. That's not bad. That's not bad for a first attempt. Eighty-eight. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty good accents, man. <laughs> the other one I can't get though is my wife's Latvian grandmother. I just can't get it. I can't it's, say I've ever tried a Latvian it's accent really, it's myself. Really hard. You know? It's like Russian, but it's like got this mm. different. Like it's higher than Russian. It's mm. really hard mm. to do, and you just have to put I Y at the end of everyone's name. Mm. They got like my wife's name's Karen. They got like, Karen. I'm like, oh, who's that? <laughs> Ah, anyway, sorry. Uh, That's this intriguing. It's good. Yeah. Uh, where, are we, where are we going with your podcast? <laughs> Just to bring it back to me for a second. Um, <laughs> so you moved straight out to Australia? Pretty much. How we was travelling like, for eight months. Okay. That's yeah. right. How, you keep saying that's right. Like, oh, I remember every single thing about Catherine's <laughs> I listened very intently. Well, this is, that's a good thing. I also happened to bump into Lee and Cathra on the train while I was listening. Oh, really? To the podcast. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool. So you are—you've got all these memories about her memories, and we get to go to Bible study together. Yes, this oh, is do true. you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's that. right. Um, wow, mm. nice one. Mm. Uh, so you move out to Australia eventually. Mm. How did your family deal with that? Because I know we've heard about Cathra's, but what about your family? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that was really hard. So remember I said to you before that um, leaving to go to university mm. was, was a big thing. Leaving to go to Australia for a year and come back 
was was also a big thing and and my my mom was really excited about that like like she always backed me wanted me to do whatever um probably wa- wanted me to succeed she was very very proud of the fact that i was like i was the first person in our extended family to go to uni all of that kind of stuff and um, she just wanted me to come back and finish um so she said come back finish that i think it was interesting one of the first things that my mom said was or well not said did was ball her eyes out she started crying <laughs> and she was like oh, i remember when you were three you said that you would go and live in australia when you grew up and i never thought that it would happen <laughs> <laughs> and i'm like oh really so so apparently at the age of three i kind of thought that i was going to go and live in australia i don't remember that mm. um, but my mum did and one of the other things was that at that point none of my family were christians and I, I can remember praying a prayer that was, hey, God, like, like I f- believe that this is where, like it wasn't, we didn't just want to come to Australia. I, I love the surf, love the culture, love the sun, all of that kind of stuff. But that was not going to be enough for us to actually move to the other side of the world. Mm. Um, we, we actually felt that God was calling us to come here. Um, and uh, but, but anyway, I remember them praying, hey, God, if we're going to go here, I need you to help me to trust you with my family. I know that I can trust you, but help me to trust you with my family. Like, like this is going to be really hard. It was that next layer of um, a, me not over-functioning and being there to fix my family. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and what happened was my, at the airport, my sister, my, uh, my sister Emma, who's a two years younger than me, uh, she came up to me at the airport and she just was bawling her eyes out. And I thought, okay, right, it's really hard, I know. Um, but she said, Ollie, I think that God's talking to me. Now, previous to that, any time that I mentioned Jesus, I was told to F away off. Sorry, Emma, <laughs> but it's kind of true. Um, and, uh, and I took that as God saying to me, hey, Lee, I've, I've got you mm. and I've got your family. Um, and, uh, and so, so that was really, really, that, that was really, really difficult. But at the same time, I really felt that God was saying, I've, I've got you. We, we felt that we had a purpose on moving out here. And, um, and, and in those earlier stages when we didn't have kids and whatever, when we were younger, we probably were a bit flippant about how hard that was for our family. Um, but we had lots of people coming out. My mom came out a few times, all of that kind of stuff. Um, and probably one of the best things, though, was I think with a bit of distance, it enabled us as a like my side of the family to work through a bunch of different things that were going on, and and this is not everybody's story, but um basically what happened was my my sister and brother in law come out, I uh, pretty much you know become Christians uh, off the back of that. My mum comes out a year later, becomes a Christian in our living room, um, or at least recommits her her, her life to Jesus. Um, don't know which one of those two is true, but but it was a significant moment uh, for her. So I got to kind of like lead mum in that. And, uh, you know, so I think that there have been lots of blessings off the back of that, but it's mm-hmm. certainly been hard. It's been, it was hard on them not being around the, the kids, I miss my family deeply and dearly. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. Hmm. That's cool. So that's awesome. That's really cool to, like, kind of get that answer to prayers. Like, oh, yeah, I've got, I've 
your family's taken care of, don't worry. Because that's, yeah. I mean, it must have been a big weight off your shoulders because you said that's been a big thing for you growing up was that yeah. you need to be in, not in charge, in taking responsibility. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and, and probably, you know, I mean, like, like, like this is not necessarily fully where you're going, but, um, but I think some of this has really been at the front of my mind more recently uh, because my mum actually passed away in um, April, <laughs> April uh, last year. And, um, and we ended up being back for six months. It was unplanned. Uh, she was only 62 on, on, her, on her birthday. And so obviously, you know, we had been in Australia 17 years. Mm-hmm. Here's a massive moment where that prayer that I pray to God back then about my family, all of that stuff kind of starts to come up again and to go, right, okay, like, like, what does this look like? What does it look like for God to have my family? And basically my mom ended up, she was one of the fittest people in our family, but got cancer that became inoperable and, and terminal. And um, we, we went back and I, I can remember saying to my mom on her birthday, 21st of March, um, in that year, I'm recalling this prayer that I, that I had. Um, and she, she was by that stage, she had cancer riddled throughout her body. She had spontaneous fractures had happened in her spine, all mm. of that kind of stuff. And she'd been suffering mm. a lot by this stage. And, um, and I said to her, hey, mom, like, I know that you're scared um, right now. And I know that you're scared largely because you're scared to leave your family behind in terms of what might happen. But let me tell you a prayer that I prayed 18 years ago. And, and I told her that prayer that I prayed. And I said, hi, I can see how God has been faithful to that prayer the whole way along. And, and where he was saying to me, you can get onto the train and I've got you, or onto the plane and I've got you. I think what he's saying to you now in that is that I've got you. You can come home. I've got you. I've got your family. And, uh, and she just looked at me and she said, does that mean I'm going to go tonight? <laughs> I was like, um, I hope not, mum. Uh, no. Um, but, but what she said was, she said, I don't want to, like I said, I don't want to suffer anymore. Mm. But Jesus has suffered way more for me. So if I am to suffer more, I know that God will use that for good and I will gladly do it effectively is what she said and over that period of time she suffered a lot but I got lots more gospel opportunities with my family my other sister became a Christian um, there were lots of people became Christians at our funeral people became like like it was just phenomenal wow. what happened in that moment and, and I think that has really just brought me back full circle where you know I, I could have been left going hey God what have you done you haven't really you know, looked after me or regretting the 18 years that we've been in Australia, all of that. And I would go, no, actually not. You know, like the, it is true, even with my mom uh, dying and whatever, that God had got us and had got my family and will continue to. Um, because that's the hardest thing about living the other side of the world. You're always waiting for that phone call or kind of wondering what's going to go wrong next. Um, so... So yeah, so it's been hard. There's been lots of practical things that have been hard, but at the same time, God has blessed us abundantly and, and, um, and actually 
allowed us to see many of the graces of the things that he has been doing under the surface, which not a lot of people get to see. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, the and, and it's really hard, you know, at the same time, I want to be with my family right now, you know, like, <laughs> like uh, um, but we still feel that this is where God has called us to at this moment, and this is where we are. So, so yeah, yeah, difficult. You want any questions, Amanda? I do, but I do. I want to give you some opportunity as well. Oh, I don't know. Like, I've got lots of questions. Is there anyone out there? I was. I'm. My current questioning is more mm. around your siblings and where they're all at at the moment. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So, so I've got four siblings. Yeah. Um, and I, my sister Emma owns a coffee shop in Northern Ireland. It was voted Ireland's best coffee shop Ooh, wow. uh, for a while. So if you ever go there, let me know and I'll, yeah. I'll hook you up. Yeah. Um, and uh, my sister Zoe is married with um, with two kids. Uh, she lives in another part of Northern Ireland and, and she's she's a, a beautiful mum and uh, works in a, in a doctor's surgery, I think, something like that. And then Curtis, my brother, he lives in another part of Northern Ireland and he works as like a sales consultant. And my youngest sister, Paige, who became a Christian when we were back in Ireland in our living room, which was awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's just had her second uh, baby and is um, kind of doing all kind of things, mum things. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're all still mourning mum because mm-hmm. she was a key, you know, they all saw her every day, mm-hmm. you know. So it, it was really, really tough. Um, them so but yeah they're all kind of that's what they're doing they're all close by to each other yeah most people in northern ireland live five minutes down the road from yeah. their mum and then five you know like so they're maybe within about 20 minutes driving from each other something yeah. like that so yeah that's cool so when you come to australia mm. were you planning to be a pastor pastor minister whatever you want to call it not a chance <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah 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 no definitely not like like i I couldn't have couldn't have seen myself doing anything worse than that actually in, in a sense and 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 I don't mean that in a negative way but but I, I just like like because of my experience with church growing up as a kid and and uh, whatever I was just like and I can't see myself doing that um was very serious state and that's not me right um but then the other thing was too that I still saw that there was this huge gap between um, going overseas to do mission, which we need to do. Like there are loads of unreached people groups still in this in the world that we need to get the gospel to, and we need we, we need to mobilize more and more people to do that. But um, but but I, I just kept on seeing this gap where people weren't going across the streets and they weren't working out how to do that. Mm-hmm. So we thought that we were going to come out here and be more cross-cultural missionaries, either to go to more in, uh, like an indigenous part of Australia or maybe to South America or somewhere like that. We just went, we'll set up base camp here. And one of the things that I'd started doing was working out how to um, maybe run an alternative youth venue. Um, I'd forgotten about Solis at this point, uh, but, <laughs> but that, that actually ran, that ran discipleship programs and then that culminated in short-term mission trips because that's what I had done back in Ireland and I just saw how beneficial that was to spark local mission mm-hmm. happening. Um, so, but, you know, we landed here. I needed to work as a, I worked as a nurse. Um, we had 
Josh a couple of years after that and whatever. So it took a while before um, I even decided to go to like to go to Bible college or whatever. So we were serving in our local church. Um, we were there uh, all the time. And then in 2008, eight, 2008, eight. that's that's when that's when Josh was born. Um, I had <laughs> I, I I was playing football like soccer, proper football, and I did I an AC. This <laughs> podcast accepts football. Isn't yeah, it? that's the correct good. term. That's good. Well, it is the correct term. Yeah, it's that's not right. accepts it as the correct term. Yeah, um, sorry, sorry. And, uh, should state. Uh, we'll, we'll state, state that yeah. football is the correct term, not soccer. Yeah. Yes. And yeah. anyway, I, I did I I did my knee just before Joshy was born, which mm. was awesome, um, <laughs> and then had surgery just after Josh was born, which was even more awesome, and uh, and then and then a, a little bit after that I also ended up getting contact dermatitis so I was working oh. as an ICU and emergency like like that would be my background ICU and emergency so you were wearing gloves a lot yeah. I got contact dermatitis had the pause doing work mm -hmm. and God used that to basically nudge me in the direction that I knew that I wanted to go in so a guy at church tapped me in the shoulder and said I reckon you'd be good at this there was a job for a youth pastor and I was like yeah, I reckon so as well. <laughs> I became a youth pastor with no training. And, and then very, very quickly went, oh my goodness, I need to know so much more. Hadn't grown up in a Christian home, you know, and, and uh, didn't know much about the Bible. Um, but I was passionate and I loved Jesus, you know, and, and I loved young people. And I thought, I want to help young people the way that I needed to hear the gospel back then mm -hmm. so i found out that there was youth works college down at down at loftus um so i signed up for college and i started youth works college in 2009 and i basically did three years there whilst working as a youth and young adults pastor at engadine congregational church just up the road which is where my uncle was the pastor and um and over that period of time what happened for me was that um God just started to shape a lot of this thinking where I saw the gap and through the principle there at the time I remember chatting to him about um, Peter when he said that he's talking you know about the church and saying you are the royal priesthood um, who will declare the praises of my name and and I went actually the church the church is not only the bride of Christ, I had no idea that that's what the language was used even before, but that the, the church was the bride of Christ, but not only the bride of Christ, actually the primary vehicle for presenting and proclaiming Jesus to the people around us. Like, like so therefore, mission is not something that we do just out here, it's something that we do by virtue of who we are. And I was like, oh, flip. This is really awesome. Like, like actually, we should be doing this. And uh, am I allowed to say flip? Is that or is that like is that like really bad? That's um, fine. <laughs> it's acceptable in Northern Ireland to say that word. It's probably about the only one that you can say. Oh. Anyway, um, and uh, and at the same time, um, a guy who's now been kind of de I don't, don't want to say dethroned, but but Mark Driscoll. Mm. A lot of people don't right. want to admit this anymore, but but Mark Driscoll come out to Australia. Mm. And he started talking about this thing called church planting. And I wasn't young, restless, and hungry, like, a, you know, like, like I wasn't necessarily sitting in that camp. But what God used that um, for me in was going, now I can see how the experience that I've had, the love for mission and evangelism that God seems to have wired me with, 
how that can actually play part within a local church body. And it's this thing called church planting. And, and it was probably only at that moment that I really thought, oh yeah, I could be a pastor mm. of a church. And, and I feel like I'm called to do that. Um, not just that I could kind of do that. And that kind of set us on a bit of a trajectory in terms of what I did. So it wasn't until that moment that I, you know, I'd already been working as a pastor in a church for a while that, that I, it really twigged on for me as to why this is actually so important to equip the saints for the work that has been set aside in advance for us to do so that we can proclaim and present Jesus to the people around us. I couldn't have said it back like that back then, but, but that's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was pretty cool. The um, you do have a, a bit of a deadline to get out of here, so I think we might have to get you back for a part two because like you just mentioned church planning, but there's a whole yeah. Yeah. realm of doing church planning and stuff like that to hear about from your story. Yeah, but I thought you did mention Josh, your son. Yes, can you tell us about your family and what God has taught you about being a dad? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'll first of all tell you I've got. Um, my son Matthew back in Ireland yes. I've got a granddaughter I became a grandfather at 38 mm-hmm. um, so I've got a, a granddaughter Gracie who is five um, and uh, then I've got Josh Grace Sophia and Ava 15 13 11 and 9 and um, so, so there's a lot of things that I've done wrong <laughs> and a lot of things that I've learned um, Here, here's probably the key thing I reckon is that no matter how good I might be at being a father, that ultimately I am not the, the father. Yes. Father God. Mm-hmm. And that that actually frees me up to um, sit with all of the moments that I suck, that I'm selfish that I don't sacrifice for my kids and my family um, and not write it off and go, it doesn't matter, it does matter, uh, but actually be able to come to God and, and, and my family and whatever and say sorry. Uh, so I think there's just something profoundly freeing in knowing that, um, that we have our Father God who is the one who is the ultimate father of my children and that impacts um, the way that I approach all of my feelings, all of my fears, all of those kinds of things as well, um, in a deep and profound way. So it doesn't mean that I find it easy, but it's certainly every time I kind of come up against where I've come up short, I go, hi, sorry, hi, God is, you know, he is, he is the one who, you know, who is ultimately there. And, and it helps me to take responsibility. It helps me to, to engage with my fears and failures and whatever. So um, I, I think that's helpful and an abundance of many other things. Can I say one more thing, actually? Of course. Mm. Um, maybe particularly to, to dads. To, oh, yeah, this is about being a father. Um, <laughs> but, but like, I... I yeah, men are just walking around. The, 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 other, the other thing is, too, is that often as dads... This is true for mums as well, not just for dads. Like I don't like I don't like making huge gender Sweeping. distinctions, right? Like, like a, um, but I reckon that it's really, really helpful for our kids to see us struggling, processing, and crying, um, particularly our sons, 
because we live in a culture where that's not okay and mm-hmm. that we need to have everything all together. Um, so that whole idea of the gospel, of God as our Father, and whatever frees us up to not have to kind of feel like we need to always be in control of everything. Mm-hmm. And I think it's actually really, really helpful for us as dads to model and show that to our kids. It's hugely vulnerable. It's really, really hard. But but I, I think that there's something uniquely helpful in that for our children as they will then engage in all of the fears and failures and challenges of growing up as an adult and being a parent themselves. I think you're right. I mean, the one thing that I shared on my particular episode where Amanda was hosting, guest hosting for the first time was that having children makes you take responsibility. But I think what you're saying there or how I heard it was if you aren't giving up control to God, then you're not taking responsibility in a sense. Yeah. And I think I think you're 100% right. And I think that I don't always model it to my children, but to be able to say I take responsibility but because... Yes, yes. You know, I've got a father that actually takes ultimate responsibility for everything, right? And has through Jesus, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and you know what I mean? Look, we're all, we're all wired differently. Our family of origin stuff is, is, is all different, you know? Mm. So there, um, there are things that we all wrestle with at different ages and stages. So I'm not saying that unless you're doing that or have discovered that, that you're doing a bad job. But I'm, I think in my particular story, that has been really, really freeing. And, and particularly as I walked through my mum uh, dying, uh, like there were moments where I could do nothing but just cry in my bed. Or I can remember driving with Josh once um, to go and see mum. And it was just me and him in the car. And, and I am bawling my eyes out the whole way along. And he just looks at me, puts his hand on my leg, and he says nothing. And that was such a beautiful moment, you know, like just to, just to sit with that and go, like there is deep learning that happens in those moments for our children. Yeah. Um, and uh, yes, yeah, so I, I mean, like I'd, I'd love to be able to kind of see men who uh, can do that and have courage to work out doing that. But I know that it's so, so difficult. Like I, I was brought up with a by my mom, you know, so <laughs> I'm okay with crying, all of that kind of stuff. Uh, but but I, I do think that as I watch the culture around me, and particularly of of guys and whatever, we 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 don't know how to take responsibility. We delay mm. doing that. Mm. Um, we struggle with engaging in weakness and not having answers and all of those things just get compounded when you become a father, Absolutely. right? <laughs> and then all of your fears come out. And and that's yeah. it's so hard. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Hard, but again, you're like it's just like God keeps growing you, right? Yeah. Uh we're gonna do a part two. Mm. Anything you'd like to ask Lee before we move on to let him let him go and bring you back again? No, I think that's a good place to mm. just leave it. Yeah, cool. I reckon so. Yeah. Cool. Thanks, thanks, man. Thanks for coming on, but we'll get you back Thank pretty, you. pretty soon. Does this mean that I'm shorter than Cathra because, like, part one is shorter? Well, it depends. Because if we I, combine them. <laughs> my, 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 goal, my goal is just to be shorter than Cathra <laughs> because that never happens, and then I can never I let her like, live it down for the rest was, of our lives. That was yeah. never going to happen, Lee. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, definitely not. Well, so. to be continued, yes. as we'll say, but um, yeah. it's been lovely so far. Yeah, we're we're thank looking you. forward to hearing more, more, more stories from from the uh, 
Thank from you. From the mouth of Murray. <laughs> from the mouth of Murray. <laughs> I had to finish an alliteration. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Musings from the mouth of Murray. There we go. So nice. Multiple musings. Yeah. Oh, oh. Yeah, just keep, keep adding them. Well done. <laughs> Very Irish, Northern Irish of you. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> sure not. <laughs> um, yeah, it's been fantastic. Thank you so much. We'll, um, we'll continue you. this. Might even be next week. We'll see how we go. But yeah. Uh, we oh gosh, I've been doing a lot of podcasting this morning. Um, we will have uh, uh, I just read. Gosh, I'm all over the place at the moment. We will have a lead back. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you for your time. You're very welcome. Thank, thank you to everyone Thanks, listening. Thank you, to Amanda, being on. Thank pleasure. You, Always again. a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Thank you. And we finish with a one way. Do you know what a one-way is? I like it when we do. Hey. Hey, he knows. I know what a one-way is from 2001. Yeah. Yeah, OG one-way. There we go. <laughs> yeah, the original one-way. Yeah. One-way. Thank you very much. Goodbye and to be continued. <laughs>